0: Hey friend, thanks so much for meeting me here at Frothy Monkey in beautiful downtown Franklin, Tennessee. It's a great place to get a good cup of joe and share together in some good conversation. Anyway, be looking at the menu. I know you're new here. Decide what you want. Text it to me. I'm going to go ahead and get in line and place our order. Hey, you're listening to Guat. Rocks, God, the world and other things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission is... Always Advancing Equilibrium in the Midst of an Agitated World Episode 99 Title, Hope for the Lost Subtitle, You're Never Beyond the Reach of God This episode is just the beginning discussion about my dad, Jim Price. My father was a hard-living Texas beer joint regular whose favorite song he liked to sing was an old Mac Davis pop hit, It's Hard to Be Humble. He only knew the chorus, but the chorus was all he needed. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror, because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. My father was not a narcissist as defined by modern psychology, but he was self-centered. In some aspects of all the psychological mumbo-jumbo, narcissism, in my opinion, is just the extreme manifestation of self-centeredness, perhaps the ultimate manifestation of self-centeredness. From a biblical worldview, I would classify it as a sin that results from the worst manifestation of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Some people have lost all filters of self-control and mutual respect in life, which results in the extreme manifestation of self-centeredness as seen in narcissism. The world did revolve around my dad in his opinion, and though a highly functional alcoholic all his life, which means his intensely strong embedded work ethic, subdued his hangover each morning, and he was out the door early, headed back for a long day's work. He was not involved in my life overall as a kid growing up. He was gone most of the time, with traveling across the world or sitting in a bar until the wee hours of the morning. My childhood memories are filled with the -the middle-of-the-night confrontations from my mother as she badgered my drunk father on why he had to stay out and drink all night. In all the years of midnight turmoil, he never really gave her a reason. If my dad had a love language, as much as I really abhor the terminology, it was money. Though he never made a lot of money by the world's standards, he was very giving when it came to money, and he did provide for the basic needs of his family. He did attend my college graduation but missed my high school and my master's degree graduations. Though I never asked my dad for money, he would write me a check for several thousands of dollars without being asked because he thought I needed it when I came back to Texas to work on my master's degree. There is so much to say in regard to his life, and though you never knew him, if I could construct the true story of his life, you would be drawn into his story of personal heartache, grief, abuse, and mistreatment as a child and a young man to the 78-year-old worn-out, dying man who finally, for real... Turned to Jesus Christ just two weeks before he died on March 31, 2010. I feel compelled today to summarize a few of the realities of his life that existed in order to send you a message of hope that regardless of what you have personally done in the way of moral failure on this earth, or regardless of what someone you care about has done in the way of moral failure, especially wrong done by that person to you, you or they are never beyond the saving, life-transforming reach of Jesus Christ. God can save you from your sin and give you eternal life in heaven with Him, regardless of what you have done. That does not mean that if you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that the earthly consequences of your sin will be erased or undone, but it does mean that you will receive eternal life starting now, And that when you die, you will be set free from the mistakes of this life and will be given a clean, pure life for eternity, no longer doing harm to yourself or others, and praising God in heaven forever. My father was a beer-drinking, carousing Texas rounder. He was not an instigator of violence, but he never backed down from a fight. When my youngest son found out my dad had been in barroom brawls, he asked him if he had ever won a fight. My dad responded, no one ever wins in a fight. I was shocked at how philosophically deep my father's response was. He suffered a broken hand as a young man while fighting, so he learned always to reinforce his hands before he started swinging. His propensity towards adultery was profound and caused problems in his marriage throughout his life. One of the episodes of In Your Face Adultery was witnessed by my sister. I was about four years old, and she was about six. My father came home drunk one night, pulled up in the driveway of our home, somehow got my mother's attention and began to harass her with his girlfriend in the front seat of the car next to him. My sister stood at the door and witnessed the sad event. In his 50s, he worked in England for an extended period of time. During the 18 months to two years of absence, he developed a long-term affair with a nurse who lived there. He was open about it to my mother after he came back to Texas, at one point calling the girlfriend, whom he claimed was visiting in Arlington, Texas, the next town south of where we lived, trying to get my mother to talk to her on the phone. Unfortunately, my brother-in-law and I had stopped by to visit my parents' house as the episode was going down. I was about 24 years old at the time. He had my mother in tears as he continued to goad her to come to the phone and talk to his girlfriend, with my brother-in-law and me in the room. His behavior was humiliating and mean. Early in his marriage, he could be physically abusive. One of the last times I saw him physically abuse my mother, punching her on the arm that left a large bruise, I had walked in on them in the kitchen while they were fighting. He was not the type to spank me or my sister as a kid, but he did chase me to my room as a teenager and punched me on my forehead between my eyes because I called him out for allowing his drunk friend Ed to make fun of my mother in front of me. A clear act meant to humiliate. I told him he was such a big man to sit there and allow someone to humiliate my mother, and then laugh about it. He would have hit me more, but my mother was yelling at him that if he kept on, he was going to kill me. Alcohol does make you a brawler and out of control in your relationships with others. The physically depressive state it places you in when you are under its influence, coupled with the terrible feeling it gives you for a good part of the next day, coupled with the usual loss of sleep due to the late-night carousing, all go into making an alcoholic an unhappy, volatile person. And that's the person I lived with as a kid. During his life, I talked openly to him many times about his need for forgiveness of his sin, salvation, and Jesus Christ. He was never combative, but also never receptive to make the change until two weeks before he died. At one point, I came to the place personally where I resolved to stop talking to him about Jesus or spiritual things. My wife confronted me and said that if we turned our back on him, that he had no one else in his life who would talk to him about these things and that he would surely die and go to hell. So I started talking to him again about Jesus. Two weeks before he died, already in an unbelievably bad place physically because of emphysema, COPD, major heart damage, and lung cancer from smoking all his life, he faced his own mortality as he began to hemorrhage blood. In that moment of seeing his own blood leaving his body, he asked me to lead him in a prayer to ask Jesus to save him. Friend, in that moment, Jesus did save him, and over the next two final weeks of his life, he was transformed, different as a man. There is so much more to say, which I will share someday, perhaps in another format, but I share this story with you today to let you know Regardless of the wrong done in a life, no one is ever too far away from the saving arm of God. I have included a guide in the show notes that explains how you can accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. If you pray to ask Jesus to save you, I would really like to hear from you. My contact email is also in the show notes. Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save, and His ear is not too deaf to hear. The old hymn, Only Trust Him, says, Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord, and He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now. For Jesus shed His precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Yes, Jesus is the truth, the way that leads you into rest. Believe in him without delay and you are fully blessed. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.